Ticket City presents Why You Go to the Game to See Georgia Southern. The play is known simply as the run. Peterson took a handoff up the middle, broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage, spins away from the next defender he meets, and he shakes off a diving tackler. 30 yards down the field, he meets another defender and literally throws him out of the way with his right arm, grabs him by the shoulder pad, and swipes him off onto the sideline. It was really so surreal because the place is going completely berserk during the run until he throws off that defender. He throws off that defender, the whole place went silent, stone silent, like an intake of breath. It was just so amazing. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then, of course, the place exploded again after they all caught their breath. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit savannahnow.com slash sports and click on tickets. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Eagle Extra Podcast. Back at it. Bye week special. While others rest, we grind here at the Savannah Morning News with Georgia Southern beat writer Travis Jadon. I'm WSUV Sports Director Greg Talbot. Thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you get us every week. Uh, Travis, this bye week came at exactly the right time for Georgia Southern. They beat up South Carolina State in a payout game. They surprised everybody. They throttled UMass in a revenge game. And then, to our surprise, performed really admirably, acquitted themselves well against Clemson on Saturday. They made a million bucks. And now they get a bye week before they played the best team in the conference. And you and I were sitting here a couple weeks ago talking about predictions for this season. And of all the positions that they could have realistically been in at this point after three weeks, this was, in our minds, the best case scenario. Yeah, Greg, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the bye week coming at this time for Georgia Southern is huge because, like you said, they go and perform admirably. It could have gone better, in my opinion, at Clemson, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But Number two team in America. I know, but I mean, the three turnovers and they didn't capitalize on them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah, like you said, a lot of injuries, so perfect time for the bye week heading into conference play. All right, let's get into our four downs, and everyone was talking about the defense, so let's start with defense. Number one, this Georgia Southern secondary is the most experienced unit they have, and they get most of the hype, but... After this game against Clemson, I would say it's actually the defensive line and the linebackers that are doing the heaviest lifting, and they need to be getting way more of the credit. Two weeks ago against UMass, uh, the defense gave up like 250 yards passing, only allowed one touchdown. As you saw against Clemson, they got absolutely torched through the air, but the defensive line was the ones, they were making stops up against their own goal line. They forced Clemson to go for it on fourth down. And I would say this new 3-4 defensive line Scott Sloan has put together, Travis, they're a bunch of gangsters, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, I agree with you, Greg. I mean, think, I think that Georgia Southern's defensive line has been so good because they've been so deep this year. And there's a couple of guys, Logan Hunt, um, Ian Bush in the middle, who was actually suspended for the Clemson game. But, we, I mean, there's a couple of guys that stand out. But as a unit, as a whole, they've been so good because they've been so deep. Clemson was running... They were snapping the ball every 22 seconds against Georgia Southern. So I was thinking, you know, as I'm watching the game, you know, I don't know how long this defensive line is going to last. I don't know how long they're going to be able to just keep getting back down for 10, 11, 12 play drives. But they did, and I don't think there was any drop-off between the first quarter and the fourth quarter, you know, the first play or the 70th play. Yeah, and I also don't want to 
get people all riled up like I'm going after the secondary. Like, Kendall Vildor right. made a first quarter interception. Really cool yeah. to see him pick off the Clemson quarterback. And so, Marquavian Brinson has been excellent. Too. Yeah, like so it, it's, it's not to, and Josh Moon's been great too. So it's not that I'm going after the individual members of the secondary. They're all good dudes. We like them. They've played well in the first two games of the year. But let's be real. They've kind of gotten gashed against passing teams. They have, but I mean, I think that there's some things that you can look at and point to that have hurt them. And notably, it's been even in the UMass game and the South Carolina State game, the middle of the field passing has really, really hurt Georgia Southern. And it could, it could have been worse if not for some drops in the UMass and South Carolina State game. I was watching at Savannah Tap House on, on, on Saturday with my lovely fiance, and we were just sitting back after the first quarter when Clemson started to be able to drive down the field, and I just... I was pounding my head against the table watching this because they would just run the run-pass option. Lawrence would drop back, throw over the middle, 20 yards. There's a guy on the post route wide open over the yeah. middle of the field. How they kept falling for that same play, I couldn't understand. Well, it's, and a lot of it happened on third downs, too, which is just soul-crushing because you know you get them in third and six, third and five, and you hope to get off the field, but unfortunately, Georgia Southern didn't do that too often, and Clemson was 7 of 12 on third downs. All right, but what's your second down? So second down for me, a positive for Georgia Southern coming out of this game. They might have the best running back in America in their nose tackle, C.J. Wright. <laughs> C.J. Wright, for me now, is more than just a gimmick. Don't laugh at this, Greg. I'm serious about too this Too late. Now. Do you know Wes Kennedy has 26 rushing yards on the season? C.J. Wright has 20. So... Wes Kennedy has six more rushing yards than the third-string nose tackle for Georgia Southern. Yeah, so I don't know if that says more about the lack of using Wes Kennedy in the rushing game or C.J. Wright, but C.J. Wright was a revelation for me in the backfield <laughs> against Clemson. And at the very, very least, it is certainly entertaining to watch. And so a little bit of background for folks here listening to this podcast. Travis used to be a high school football beat writer here at the Morning right. News. And what struck me was I had flashbacks. I had a Vietnam flashback to two years ago for Scriven County. Bluffton, Bluffton. Oh, it was it was Ken Cribb, the head coach, who would run the meat wagon package. He'd bring <laughs> in his nose tackle and they run it for 30 yards of play. Uh, I don't know whether Ken Cribb knows Chad Lunsford, but the fact that they went to that against Clemson without telling anybody, by the way, right. I was watching this game. I was like, what am I watching? Like, is this what I'm actually seeing? They didn't, they didn't tell anyone about this, you, but the fact they did, I, I was laughing because it worked. Yeah, and it worked better than any Thing else on the ground for Georgia Southern in the game. The thing for me is imagine CJ Wright uh, learns that, you know, there's a few plays for him, a, a package at least for him in this game on Monday. Now he's got to go Monday to Saturday every night thinking, man, I'm going to get some serious carries in a game against possibly the best defensive line ever in college football. And so for me, that, that, you know, I bet he was just beside himself excited. Yeah. And, and speaking of guys who were affected by that unbelievable Clemson defensive yeah. line, which is going to have three first-round draft picks right. on it, probably. Uh, let's talk about the third down, and that is so many injuries. They got really banged up on Saturday. No surprise when you do a payout game against a team that's number two in the country, you're going to have injuries. That's why you're getting a million dollars, because you are most of the time going to be the sacrificial lamb. But three to four key guys on defense left that game. Some of them came back. And what's funny about that, Travis, is usually it's the offensive guys in a pay game that get absolutely thrashed by yeah. a big defense. It was the Georgia Southern defense that looked like the mash unit when it was all said and done. Man, it was just left and right. Every other play, it seemed like, that a Georgia Southern defensive player was going down uh, with injury, and specifically the linebacker unit. 
They were already without Rashad Bird because of the suspension and the UMass game, the targeting penalty. Which is still, two weeks later, complete BS. Yeah, and I think 10 weeks from now, it'll still be complete BS. Yeah. But, you know, that's something that I think most of us can agree on as as people that watch Georgia Southern. But, uh, yeah, for me, like, the the biggest key is that Georgia Southern had to go so deep into their linebacker unit. They were We've talked about it. They were already struggling to defend the middle of the field passing and when they lost to Marcio Reese, who uh, left in the first half, came back in the second half and played, they lost Lane Ecton for a time. He came back and played eventually, but they lost him for a large chunk. Uh, then they lost Chris Harris, another linebacker. They've lost Todd Bradley, who was carted off. So, I mean, you start running out of names. At the end of the game, Justin Birdsong, a cornerback, was down. So, I mean, they were getting gashed. And like we talked about in first down, the the bye week could not have come at a more perfect time. And we'll and, and piggybacking off that, we will get to this in a second. But it wasn't just the injuries; it was also that they were missing their their top safety, Josh Moon, because of a suspension. He was ineligible. We learned about it minutes before the game. We got an email from Brian Johnson, who works for the school. So, right. combination of of injuries and now a couple weeks with unannounced until right before the game, guys who aren't going to be playing that has made things really difficult. All right, um, fourth down for you, Travis. So for me, fourth down has been the progression of the passing game and the progression of the pass calling. So through three games, uh, I went and looked at when Georgia Southern is passing it, where on the field, and on what downs. So it was interesting to me. They've passed it 25 total times uh, through three games. On first down, they've passed it eight times. On second down, they've passed it seven times. Third down, they've passed it ten times. And no attempts on fourth down. So eight, seven, ten, first, second, and third down, there's a balance there. Even if the number 25 is not a large number of attempts, there is a balance there. And as an option offense, if there's even a little bit of a threat to pass the ball on first down, as rare as it might be, if there's a little bit of a threat there, then it frees up really the whole series and the whole drive for you. And I think that's probably a conscious decision on Bob the Best's part, uh, the first-year offensive coordinator, because – now teams looking at Georgia Southern, you see all this on film, that they will pass it on first and second down, not just on third and long. And here's what's kind of funny about that to me is you and I sat here about six months ago when Bob DeBess was announced as the new offensive coordinator. People said, okay, Georgia Southern's finally going back to the true option. They're getting a guru who whose teams at New Mexico led the country in rushing. Georgia Southern is going back to that. Yeah. And people were so excited, and the, the, the Georgia Southern message boards were just d- destroying Tyson Summers more than a year ago because they were passing with Rance Gillespie and the other offensive coordinators more than the fan base thought they should considering their history of the triple option. I don't hear people complaining about the amount of passing right now. I think it just goes to show that at Georgia Southern – as long as you're in a system that looks something like the option, as long as you're moving the ball, and as long as you're winning, people right. are happy. It doesn't need to be the triple option. Right. It doesn't need to be. And, again, we, I use the word balance in, in this offense, and, and I guess that, you know, that might not be the right word because you have, what, 25 uh, attempts on the year, and we said last week that Georgia Southern was running the ball, I think, 86% of the time. So what I mean is when they do pass it, it, it doesn't have to be on third and 10. You right. know what I mean? So they are picking their spots, and, and I think that's a conscious choice. 
Yeah, what I was going to say is that for what it's worth, I believe after week two against UMass, Southern did lead the country in percentage of rushing plays per game. Yeah, which is, you know, I'm A-OK with that. As it should be. I mean, let's talk that that's the way the team is. I'm sure it's always going to be Cal Poly, New Mexico, Georgia Southern, Georgia Tech. That's going to be your top five, ideally most of the time. Well, Georgia Tech's way down there right now, though, Greg. I know. Can you believe that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm very, very surprised by it. Okay, so let's get to some uh, other takeaways. I know you are... You're always sunny. Like you're, you're the you're the crew. You're too hot. You are too hot that they aren't getting it to West Kennedy enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that because I, I th- West Kennedy did not touch the football until the 14 minute and 30 second mark in the in the fourth quarter. So you went three entire quarters and a little bit of the fourth quarter without getting him a touch. Now they did target him earlier in the game one time and he caught the ball but was out of bounds. But Wes Kennedy, I mean, even if you line him up behind center and make him the quarterback, he's got to touch the ball a few times a quarter at least, I figure. And I think going into the game, it's not like they were saying, hey, let's go away from Wes Kennedy for the first three quarters and then work him in in the fourth quarter. But as the game progressed, you kind of you want to get Wes Fields a touch. You want to get Monteo Garrett going. You want to maybe get Shy Works going on the outside. And you kind of forgot it seemed like about Wes Kennedy and his ability I think part of that is that they didn't have a ton of first downs and didn't they didn't have a ton of plays yeah. I was gonna say they didn't get to run a ton because yeah. it was always Clemson's offense off on the field looking at the time of possession there but the the thing about Wes Kennedy is dating back to that rivalry game last year in November against Georgia State that was kind of his breakout game mm. we had known about him because he was the best high school football player in Savannah two years ago everyone who knew Savannah high school football knew Wes Kennedy from Benedictine right all of a sudden everyone knew about him last year in that game against Georgia State. I am still a little bit surprised that although he is running back kicks and punts, we aren't seeing them target him for four or five passes, and he's only getting like one or two carries a game. I wish they would start using him as as kind of the X-factor guy. I want to see them targeting him through the air and with a pitch every two or three drives. Yeah, we saw saw early in camp, Greg, when we discussed this, I think when we were watching it, there, they had formations where it was Wurtz at quarterback with Fields, Garrett, and Kennedy in the backfield. And I, and I don't know how many times we've even seen them line up in that formation this year so far. Usually when they've done that with the diamond backfield, it's been one of the other redshirt freshman right. running backs like Matt LaRoche. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's a reason to that, I'm sure. It's not like, like we said, it's not like it's slipping their mind. But, yeah, for me, I mean, you, you have to find a way, any way you can to get Wes Kennedy the ball. And I, again, I understand that you want to get Wesley Fields going, but, you know, he had 14 carries for, I think, like a, you know, a two-yard average. So 14 carries, they were clearly trying to get Wes Fields going, but it, it also clearly wasn't working. And so I think sometimes you kind of bang your head against the wall until, you know, there's nowhere else to go. But, you know, Wes Kennedy's only reception was a pass from OB Fortune, the receiver who was the leading passer for Georgia Southern right. on Saturday. So so other big picture stuff. Uh, Shy Wirtz scored a touchdown against a home state team in Clemson that offered yeah. him as an athlete. That was a pretty cool moment. Outside of that, I don't think you could expect a ton from Shy Wirtz in, in this game. He performed admirably. He Like yeah. we said, he scored a touchdown. That was a cool moment for him. Yeah, I didn't see anything that would lead me to be any less excited about him. I, I think his first two games against UMass and South Carolina State were unbelievable. Certainly did better in this game than he did last year in his first college game when he got absolutely demolished by Auburn. In that yeah. game on the Plains, he was, what, 4 for 8 passing for like 5 yards, got sacked 6 times, yeah. and intercepted. 
amazing what difference one year can make. For sure. And I mean, a lot of that, I, I think, obviously, is due to the improvement of the entire team. But yeah, on Saturday, you almost can't even judge Wirtz because of... I don't want to say the offensive line performed poorly. Let's go. Okay. Let, let's get to that. I, I know yeah. you're hot about that too. Let's go to the offensive line. So it was just a revolving door. Every time you look, you know, not every series, every play, they were switching, uh, you know, two to three linemen. It seemed like, and I don't know if it was fatigue, if it was planned going into the game, but at some point, for me, you have to find stability on the offensive line. You have you have to pick a guy or five guys across the line that you feel like are going to be your number one guys. And right now they have Curtis Rainey at center and Colbert at left tackle. And then other than that, it's, you know, it's a revolving door. And it's honestly, it's hard to tell what the strategy is, what the game plan is, because if you're not trying two guys out at one position and they're battling and you say that they're equal and they've practiced equally, that's one thing. But, you know, you're moving Jacob Cooper from right guard to left guard, Brian Miller from right tackle to left guard, and it's just, it seems like it's just too much. And it's one thing if it's just a standard right now in 2018 college spread passing offense where the yeah. where every where every play it's just going to be five guys in a tight end lining up, dropping back into pass blocking protection, and they're just gonna and they're just gonna block whoever comes at them. And an option offense, especially one that is so dominated by minutia like Bob DeBess's mm-hmm. is. You need to have the five guys, the six guys who are completely in sync, who know exactly what they need to be running and pulling on every play. It is an offense based on discipline. And I feel like if they continue to rotate in and out, in, I think this was kind of your last chance to do that. Because now you're starting conference play in a year in 2018 where now there are divisions. There's a championship game mm-hmm. for the conference. All of a sudden, conference games really matter in a way that they haven't mattered before for Georgia Southern. I think your time for experimenting on the offensive line, I feel like that door hopefully just closed. Well, you you hope that's the case, but you know, if DeBess and Lunsford, let's say that they agree and, and that they're desperate to find the five people across the line that they want to play, but maybe none of those guys are playing well enough to warrant a spot, you know, a solidified spot on the line. So, I mean... You know, it's a catch-22, and they're caught between a rock and a hard place because if they're not playing well enough, then you have to keep trying other guys. But you would hope that at some point in the very near future that they're going to lock in on some guys. And it also limits Shy Wirtz's ability, I think, at the line to change plays because if there's no camaraderie between you and, and the offensive line, if there's a different guy to your right and left every time you snap it, you know, there's just very little camaraderie, I feel like. And, and Travis, for better or worse, I would also say that Georgia Southern's offensive guys and Bob DeBess, the offensive coordinator, and Chad Lunsford, it's only been three weeks. They've already shown us they are not afraid to relegate a player down to second string. We saw it after the second scrimmage with wide receiver Obi Fortune, who was the, yeah. the leading pass catcher returning from last year. They demoted him to second string. Now, they've since brought him back up to, to a starting role at the Z, at the Z, mm-hmm. Z receiver position, but they've already shown that if they don't think you're exactly right for the team's iteration right now for that unit, regardless of your individual skill level, they're they're willing to, to, to bench you. Yeah, Lunsford has said before, and he said it since he got the job, that you know every day he wants competition and every day, and sometimes that's just rhetoric, but I mean... Right out of the Kirby playbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like there's a lot of stuff coming out of the Kirby playbook in, in Statesboro, but I, I'll say this, what Lunsford 
said has been completely backed up by what the program has done and what he's done um, as a coach and, and the depth chart decisions that they have and haven't made. All right, let's get some other big picture stuff here on the Eagle Extra podcast. This is something that bothered me two weeks ago when I was broadcasting the game on ESPN Plus against UMass. All of a sudden in the second quarter, Cam Brown, the backup tight end, caught a touchdown, and I looked down on the sideline and I saw Ellis Richardson was was not playing yeah. in the game. Now it turns out he was injured during the week. They hadn't told anybody that, and then they had Cam Brown, the backup tight end, come in. Mm-hmm. And he performed well, but combine that with Josh Moon, who we found out right before the Clemson game hadn't played, all of a sudden uh, wasn't eligible to play. All of a sudden, it looks like we're going to get news from a key player every single game that isn't going to play. That can't stand. Yeah, I I, I get why you wouldn't want to announce that Josh Moon and Ian Bush, who were suspended uh, for the Clemson game for uh, what... Um, the ESPN Plus broadcaster said was a violation of team rules. So we find that out 15 minutes before the kickoff. Ian Bush and Josh Moon out for Clemson um, against, uh, like you said, against UMass. It was Ellis Richardson for injury. He came out and warmed up before the game. Then they decided not to go with him. Opening week, South Carolina State, all offseason we hear about Georgia Southern's preseason. First team, all Sunbelt defensive end, Logan Hunt. First game out. He's suspended, not hurt. He's suspended and he's out for the first game. So I'm just going to start setting my clock to 20 minutes before Georgia Southern kicks off. Somebody's going to be suspended for them. And I'm just going to accept it because what you had was not not the biggest game of the year at Clemson, but the most marquee game of the year. And you had two seniors on your defense, which is supposed to be your best unit, suspended for the game. And for Moon, as, as a captain and a season-long captain, whatever the violation was, it, it couldn't have come at a worse time because, like we said, Georgia Southern was gashed down the middle of the field in the passing game. They could have really used Josh Moon. All right, let's pull back up here, uh, if we can, and talk about some little bit bigger picture stuff. So we, talk, we, talked about, we talked about the players. We talked about the parts of the game. Let's talk about what this Clemson game, uh, from a philosophical perspective, mm-hmm. means for this program. Now, obviously, the way college football works in 2018 is you're booking these games with big opponents years in advance. Like, I remember a couple months ago, Southern booked Nebraska for, like, 2023 or whatever it is. So the question I have for you, Travis, is Southern has not beaten a Power 5 team they have played since 2013. That was when they went to Florida and and, and won in the swamp. Jarek McKinnon, who now plays for the Niners, who, who went to Southern, had the big winning touchdown in that game, and, and it's the second best Georgia Southern running back on the Niners. I was going right? to say thoughts and prayers to Jarek as he sits out with the ACL. My boy Matt Breida, Southern graduate on my Niners, leading the NFL in rushing, killing um, the game, helping but, my fantasy team too. Oh, had a boy, nice pickup. Okay, no. So, but back to what I was saying is, is this kind of Power Five game for Southern, the Clemson game? Is this the kind of game they need to be scheduling? assuming that Clemson is still going to be like the biggest team in the country right now, is it better to be playing the number one or two team in the country and, and getting the massive payday? Or is it a little bit better to be doing like what they did last year and, and play Georgia Tech, uh, a power five team in their own right, but maybe one that isn't going to totally deplete their roster? Right, and that's the thing for me. You know that they're going to schedule or they want to schedule at least one big-time opponent every season, basically, and on the road because of the payday that it brings in. So we know that they're going to do that. But 2019 at LSU, at Minnesota. 2020 at Boise State. 
They get FAU and Houston at home, then at Ole Miss. 2021 at Houston, at Arkansas, and BYU in Paulson Stadium. So these are, these are pretty big-time games. And I guess for me, the question is, do you schedule teams like, say, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, teams at the bottom level of these Power Five conferences where Georgia Southern would probably have a chance to win every few years against teams like that? Rarely are they going to have good opportunities to beat teams like Clemson and really teams probably like Nebraska and Ole Miss. And more importantly, if you're really good and Southern gets back to winning eight, nine, ten games a year in the Sun Belt Conference, you might even have a chance to get a home-and-home. Home so, so for background, my lovely fiance Brittany, she went to East Carolina. East Carolina all of a sudden got really good somewhere in the mid-late 2000s. They started booking home-and-homes with, with North Carolina. And all of a sudden, when North Carolina would come to Greenville, they would they would kick the crap out of North Carolina. I think that it, was Lou Holtz's son yeah, that no, was the coach. And they just team. did it again. Yeah. They just beat North Carolina again a couple weeks ago. So if you if you schedule a little bit lower Power 5 team, you can get a home-and-home. Home. You could bring them to Statesboro. You might have a chance to beat them. I understand why Tom Kleinlein and Georgia Southern want the biggest opponents. For well, sure. Like you said, they're going to LSU next year. That's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the players and the fans. That's a fun road trip. But for sure. Like you said, I, I think it could be really cool if you could start booking smaller Power 5 teams like a Vanderbilt, maybe convince them to come do a home-and-home. And, home. and what a landmark that would be for this program that has jumped to to Division One FBS. If you could start bringing in... M- like I said, they're already going to do it in 2020. Houston's coming. Now, Houston is not Houston of two years ago when they had Tom Herman. Right. But bringing bigger name opponents to Statesboro, if you do want to take the next step up and become a more legitimate D1 FBS team, legitimate home games would certainly help that cause. Yeah, and it's tough to go an entire offseason. Like next year, they'll open with LSU on August 31st. They're going to go an entire offseason probably staring at a 30-point spread that they're underdogs. That's that's tough to do. It's also tough to come out in week 2 and 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 let's say they lose, you know, 41 to 14 to LSU. That's tough. I you know, I don't care who you are. It's tough to go and get ready week 2 after after getting your your brains beat in by a team that that should beat your brains beat in. All that being said, I completely understand why they schedule the games and they need to schedule these games for yeah, for the progress of the program. And, you know, it's largely financial. And because that. you're still paying Tyson Summers. You keep bringing Tyson Summers up, Greg. <laughs> Sorry, it's twice. It's, Greg, too, it's twice too many. You got to get over Tyson Summers, man. I know. He broke my He's heart. not walking through that door. <laughs> I don't think they want him walking through that door. They're two and one. If he walks through the door, some things might happen to him. Yeah, know. no kidding. Okay, so in summation, let's talk about... So you already said, Travis, that this was the perfect time for Georgia Southern to get that bye week because mm-hmm. they're two and one. They just... Lost to Clemson as they were expected to. They have a bunch of guys hurt. They have a bye week. And coming up next is the beginning of a real gauntlet at home for them for the rest of the 2018 season. They're hosting Arkansas State. And if you are just a casual fan of Southern News, you might say, hey, all right, that's a good team from Jonesboro. They've got a good quarterback. And Southern has played them close the last two years. Arkansas State is the favorite to win the Sunbelt Conference in 2018, and I think this is the most difficult game they're going to play this year. They needed this bye week because this game is going to be brutal. Well, in what I've read and watched of Arkansas State in the last few days, it's it's a very it looks like a very sophisticated offensive scheme, and by that I mean 
there's a lot of different formations. It seems like that the they're very gelled and that they know what they're doing, when they're doing it, and why they're doing it when they have the ball. So obviously, you know, late suspensions would really hurt the defense against Arkansas State, but it's going to be a real test. Georgia Southern will have, you know, extra time with the bye week to prepare, and so that won't really be an excuse. Hopefully uh, injuries and suspensions won't be an excuse. So this is really a game where – no excuses are going to exist for Georgia Southern, and we'll find out how good they really are, especially defensively against Arkansas State's offense. And I was going to say, bright spot, too, is although they gave up more than 200 yards passing to UMass two weeks back, Arkansas State looks like UMass. That is a prolific passing team that's going to I throw the, the ball 75 80% of the time. So, like we said, although Southern's secondary kind of got gashed against UMass, they only gave up one touchdown to UMass, and that was a rushing touchdown. So if you could do... Pretty much the same thing you did against the Minutemen, against Arkansas State. You've got a really good chance to win that game. Yeah, and for me, and obviously next week we'll preview Arkansas State um, a lot more. But for me, the the two things that, you know, and I feel like I always say this, but, you know, it holds true when you look at the outcomes of games. In 2017, Georgia Southern was averaging 6.4 penalties a game. This year they've got nine through three. So math majors know that's three per game. And, you know, that – in and of itself is a good thing. And then on third downs, last year they converted at a 35% clip. This year it's up 10 percentage points to 45%. Those two things really Lunsford has harped on, especially the penalties. And, you know, I think against Arkansas State it's going to be more of the same. But I'm really, really just excited and anxious to see what exactly Georgia Southern has to work with, especially defensively. And I'm anxious to see 25,000 people at Paulson Stadium. I would love to see what that looks like. It's been a couple of years. It was that, what, the ULN game two years ago was the record they set for 25,000. And And the pictures out of that game looked crazy. When that stadium is packed, it's something else. You know, it's beautiful, and and it's a crazy atmosphere. So here's the thing. One last thing before we go, before we get to Travis's uh, interview here on the Eagle Extra podcast is... Week one against South Carolina State, the new Chad Lunsford era, okay, 15,000 in the seats to be expected. Week two against UMass to only have 15,000 again. Chad Lunsford is begging you to come out to these. And here's the thing. The student sections are filled. They're getting 9,000, 10,000 kids in the seats on the other side of the field. Mm -hmm. I was up in the press box broadcasting the game against UMass two weeks ago, and I looked down, and it was the home side. It was the the Statesboro-Savannah adult side that was not totally filled. So when Chad Lunsford's out on Twitter saying, hey, get into Paulson, 25,000, he doesn't need to say that to the students anymore. He's saying that to people in Atlanta, people in Metter, in Savannah. It's a 6 o'clock kickoff. The CBS 3.30 game is pretty much done. Come out to this game. Support this team. They need it for this game. This is the biggest Saturday night home game it's the only Saturday night home game they have the rest of this year. The rest of the home games on Saturdays are going to be at 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock. This is right. the last chance you have to have a full-day tailgate. I want 25,000 people there, Travis. Yeah, and yeah, like we said, this is the opportunity. This is the chance, and this is a game that Georgia Southern has had circled on the schedule, I believe, and rightfully so. Um, it's also pretty apparent that the players and the coaching staff feed off of the fans, and they and they notice, you know, how full it is and how loud it is, and they really, really believe that the more fans they have, the better chance they have to win. And so as a fan of Georgia Southern, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what would. 
they are begging you on. They're doing yeah. everything short of begging you on Twitter to come out for that Arkansas State game. So please just go buy tickets. Twenty five thousand. Help the team win this game because here's the thing: if they beat Arkansas State, not only are they pretty much, in my mind, guaranteed to be bowl bound. All of a sudden, they are back in the Sun Belt Conference conversation as legitimate contenders. Well, could you imagine what that would look like two weeks from now if Georgia Southern's three and one, having beat Arkansas State at home? That would significantly change the outlook of the rest of the year. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but yeah, it doesn't need to be stated anymore. This is a gigantic game, and and Georgia Southern fans will have their opportunity. All right, Travis, who's your interview that you have for us today? All right, so we have Pete Iacobelli coming up from the Associated Press. He covered the Clemson-Georgia Southern game. We'll talk about that with him coming up and then also get into some kind of comparisons for Georgia Southern and where they stand as compared to a team that I believe is, is very comparable to them right now, Georgia Tech. So we'll get Pete's thoughts on that. Also, Pete's thoughts on the option offense and the uh, the longevity of the option offense in Statesboro. So I think it's a really interesting talk with a guy that's seen a lot of college football here in the South. And in terms of Savannah Morning News coverage for the rest of the week, what do you have coming up? Yeah, so find all of our stuff on Georgia Southern at savannahnow.com slash sports. And then you can find this podcast and other Savannah Morning News podcasts at savannahnow.com slash podcast. And then you can follow on Twitter at Jadon, J-A-U-D-O-N, sports. So that's my plug, Greg. All right. uh, My (laughs) plug is we are pretty much just doing high school football coverage this week on WSAV. So the Thursday Blitz countdown, uh, Travis's former television home, that'll be Thursdays at 6.30 over on WSAV. CW, we are back this week with more high school football talk after Hurricane Florence came in and for no reason canceled a whole week of high school football because we have beautiful weather. No comment. on, On Friday night. Okay, so for Travis, I'm Greg. His interview is coming up. We're back in a week on the Eagle Extra podcast. Hey, guys. Travis here. And before we get back to the podcast, I wanted to take this sponsor break to remind you that we could be talking about your business or company right now. If you're a Georgia Southern fan, alumni, or just someone who wants to support local football, why not get your name attached to the best and only Georgia Southern Eagles football podcast in the coastal empire? Get featured in this podcast and one of the other Savannah Morning News podcasts by reaching out to Chris Corey at C. Corey at savannahnow.com. Again, that's C C O R E Y at savannahnow.com. Tell him you want your business advertised on Georgia Southern Extra. Now, back to the episode. All right, we're joined by Pete Iacobelli of the Associated Press. Pete covers uh, college football for the AP and recently covered the Clemson versus Georgia Southern game uh, for the AP. Pete, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks very much. It's a sunny day, so I think Hurricane Florence is finally out of the area. Yeah, I know we're all happy about that, especially the people in the Carolinas. Pete, I guess first we can start with just your uh, general reaction from Clemson's 38-7 win on Saturday. A, a lot of people on the Georgia Southern side um, were, were pleased with their you know, ability to hang with Clemson, kind of, I guess. But what, what were your, some of your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought, too, that first quarter. Uh, I, I really did expect Clemson to uh, get going in a hurry, and they were able to move the ball uh, pretty consistently. But Georgia Southern did not um, let it bother them too much. They were opportunistic. They took advantage of what was there. They kept on playing hard. Uh, I thought that kind of continued throughout the game, even when Clemson was able 
to put up some points. I thought it was a really good showing for a team that is still working on being able to get to, to, to be competitive with uh, top five teams uh, like Clemson. So what is your view of Georgia Southern generally? I mean, obviously you've only seen them um, in person one time this year, but just as far as their personnel goes, you know, how do you think that they stack up, you know, maybe with people or with teams that are more on par with them in the Sun Belt? Yeah, I think that they are going to have a, uh, a, a, a good improving season in the Sun Belt, given what I saw. I mean, uh, there are a lot of young players. Who are who who can make a lot of plays? I think uh, Shea Wirtz is one of them. I think he's very confident. I mean, talking to him after the game, he was bothered that the offense wasn't able to do more, mm-hmm. but he was confident that the things that went wrong against Clemson are correctable and can be ready to go by the time you know when they play Arkansas State in two weeks. And Pete, you've talked to a lot of different players and coaches in your time, I'm sure, covering college football. The, since Georgia Southern has hired Chad Lunsford, you know, the whole talk around the program has been a new culture, um, kind of a new way of going about things and, and a new way of you know, thinking about things on the field and off the field. Sometimes I think that some teams and some programs with new coaches just kind of say that and it's just rhetoric and nothing more. Do you get the sense that what's happening at Georgia Southern is is real, I guess, and sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it seems this, these seem like players who really want to succeed. I mean, I would imagine, I would imagine walking through Georgia Southern, even though, you know, it's an FBS school now, I would imagine there's, a legacy of championship play mm-hmm. uh, from the FCS and, and, and NCAA titles and things like that. And if you come to Georgia Southern, you, I, I'm guessing that you want to not only live up to it, you want to build on on that legacy. And this, you know, joining the FBS is a new challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And there are already some milestones. I mean, the first two weeks, you know, you went, you, you uh, Georgia Southern starts with wins. I mean, Georgia Southern had two wins. All last year, right. it's a very hopeful, confident team headed to the headed to Sun Belt play uh, soon. And when and it's not that they're overconfident; it's not that they just expect to come out and put their helmet down and they're maybe bring an NCAA trophy with them and say, "Hey, look at us! We're Georgia Southern yeah. now." They are. Re- they they look like they want to put in the work. They look like they want to play hard. They did not back down, even in that second half uh, against Clemson when when the Tigers started to roll a little bit, and I thought they kind of acquitted themselves very well. And I think that's a good sign for where they're going to, uh, how they're going to stack up in the uh, Sun Belt. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Pete. I guess finally, comparing Georgia Southern to Clemson is tough, and comparing them to a lot of you know Power 5 schools is tough, but you know, just up the road in Atlanta is a team in Georgia Tech that's seemingly going the other way and I know you're very familiar with that program I guess if you could and this is kind of a loaded question uh, if you could kind of compare a where the two programs are at today and then kind of if you could look you know to your crystal ball or whatever and look into the future how do you see these two programs comparing to each other in the future yeah that is a difficult question I do think that I, I mean I, I do think as we've talked about I think Georgia Southern is a a team headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uncertain if that's the case with uh, Georgia Tech now. They're already, I mean, they've started one and two. Um, you know, they, 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 those are difficult, 
difficult road games at South Florida at Pitt. Now they have Clemson coming to their place on uh, Saturday, and I think that's going to be a difficult matchup because Clemson uh, defensive coordinator Brett Venables has really kind of shut down that option attack. Mm -hmm. It is There aren't many Power 5 schools that rely on the on the option the way Georgia Georgia Tech does. Yeah. And when it works, it's oh my gosh, how come we can't stop this and look how well it's going. But when it doesn't, that's when fans and boosters and maybe even recruits say, you know, I, I don't see a place for me on this team because they don't take advantage of my skills. If I'm a top yeah. quarterback, am I necessarily going to a place where I can't throw the ball? The spread offense is is ever is is a rage everywhere now. Mm-hmm. It's going downfield. It, you know, if you're a six four receiver, are you going to Georgia Tech to play football? Maybe not. Right. Maybe not. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I think right now Georgia Southern is playing uh, uh, an offense that it's comfortable with. It's got a history to, and, and can and works well for it. I think somewhere down the road, Georgia Southern might have to trans transfer a little bit you know, transition a little bit to a more spread-style offense if they want to compete for, regularly compete for Sun Belt titles and, and bowl games and things like that because that's what's attractive to players these days. It's, it's hard to tell them, you know, especially skilled players. I mean, you can get a 300-pound lineman and say, listen, go either, you know, block these guys coming at you or, uh, you know, 260-pound defensive end and say just run after the quarterback. But if you have a six four, six five receiver, they're gonna to want to catch the ball. If you have you know, if you have a quarterback who threw for ten thousand yards in high school, he's gonna to want to throw the ball. Yeah. So it's a it's a different dynamic here and I do think I, I, I wonder whether Georgia Tech is going to be able to pull out of this tailspin it's in right now. Or and I also wonder, you know, I also know that Georgia Southern has played well, but maybe they might have to uh, add some wrinkles of a more spread, a more popular offensive style in order to keep players wanting to come there. Right, and that's always been a fascinating discussion around not just Georgia Southern, yeah. but any you know any team that runs the option. It's For me, it's so difficult to run the option with success if you don't have a premier quarterback. And then, like you said, most of the premier quarterbacks aren't going to want to play in the triple option offense. Uh, Pete, I did want to ask you before we let you go. Um, having seen Clemson last week, you know, a lot of people, most people, I would say, have them as you know one of the favorites to make the playoffs. What do you think uh, as far as the Clemson team? You know, where do you give, or what kind of chances do you give them for making the playoffs? Well, I, I mean, I give them strong chances because mm-hmm. I don't think the ACC is going to present them with a lot of challenges. This year, their toughest game in league play may be going to Boston College uh, a little later on in the season. Um, on the other side, uh, they may play Clemson. If Clemson should get Clemson get to the ACC title game, you know they may play Duke or or, or Miami or somebody like that over there. And they've mm-hmm. proven that right now they can beat those teams. I do think Clemson is still a work in progress. I mean. I saw the I covered the Georgia South Carolina game a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and Georgia looks like you know a fully formed big boy football team, ready to uh, you know ready to do do its best and hang with Alabama. Um, 
at the top of the polls. I don't know that Clemson is fully formed yet. I mean, that dual quarterback system between Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence, the coaches say they're comfortable with it. I don't know whether it's sustainable for an entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, their defense, their defensive secondary had some issues against at Texas A&M, allowed A&M to kind of come back and maybe, you know, it'd be a two-point conversion from tying that game. So Clemson has its issues. Where Clemson is going to be strongest is that defensive front. I mean, you saw it last week. I mean, those guys shut down the run and chase quarterbacks, and they are – they're all going to the NFL, yeah. you know, probably next year, uh, and deservedly so. That's going to be the base of this uh, of this team while the offense maybe finds its rhythm and identity. And if they can kind of click into things um, midseason, they they would they will be able to get to the college football playoffs and have a chance at a title. I think they'll be there anyway. But in order for them to have a chance at moving beyond the semifinals, they're going to have to find some rhythm on offense and some identity on offense. Great. Well, thank you, Pete, and, and thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck the rest of the season covering uh, all the games that you have coming up. Thank you, Travis. Enjoy the, uh, the rest of the season. It could be a good one for the Eagles. Hope so. Thanks, Pete. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern.